Welcome to Heart and Soul, the radio show dedicated to all things BDSM. My name is Mistress Elisa. I'm a dominatrix, BDSM counselor, and life coach. Listen, you've got questions, and I've got answers. And I'll be talking to you from my heart and soul. sex addicts. When I talk about sex addiction, I talk about addictions of a sexual nature that may include sex, porn, masturbation, and a plethora of fetishes. And it does seem like every three to four months, someone comes up with a new fetish and I go, oh my god, I've never heard of that one, never thought of it. You know, every time you think that you've heard it all or seen it all, this lifestyle will surprise you. Alright, so, challenges facing recovering sex addicts. I've got a list here. Let's go through them. Number one, self-judgment. When you judge yourself, you're not going to be able to work. Because what you will see is your answer, your solution, and your brain will turn that into judgment. You're not doing this and so you suck. You are not doing this or you did it before and you're not doing it now so you are weaker now than you were before. Okay, I'm not going to give you any more examples because I don't want to use my energy speaking negatively to you but I want you to see how that works. When you judge yourself, you are not able to do your work. You will not be able to learn, grow, heal, move forward. You will not be able to do anything productive. Self-judgment is poison. Number two, self-hatred. That's just an extension of self-judgment, except hatred takes it a bit further. You know, when you judge yourself, you're saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and, you know, this was wrong. When you hate yourself, what you are doing is saying, I am, and you are assigning, usually, these very negative attributes to yourself and and you're not saying I behave this way you're saying I am this way so it wouldn't be I am behaving like a bad person it would be I am a bad person and if self-judgment gets you nowhere you can only imagine how self-hatred will absolutely not only get you nowhere but it's going to hurt you It's going to make you take steps backwards, several steps backwards, and you will likely even start to self-sabotage, which is no good. Number three, the judgment of others. This one, and guys, I don't have time in this podcast to talk about how to address these things, but I think that if you become more aware of what can hold you back, then you can start to identify them and figure out what to do about them. In my case, I was surrounded by people who were not only judgmental, but full of hatred. Um, You know, I, I don't talk about myself a lot, but I can tell you that the people that I grew up with and that were in my immediate space were unhealthy, hateful, spiteful, manipulative, nasty 
pieces of work and I found myself trying to heal and every time I would heal my wounds would just be reopened and it was just time to do it all over again so I was constantly trying to patch up I was constantly applying band-aids and salves and so when you find yourself being judged and hated by others then you've got to ask yourself the important question of what do I do about this um, I will just mention that there are a couple of things that you can do, but nothing can be addressed without communication. In my case, communication uh, was something that I attempted to do uh, as I went through my own process of healing, but for me, it was just better for me to walk away from everyone. Most of my clients are not in that position. Most of my clients have people in their lives who are maybe dysfunctional, but not uh, not out to get them, not out to hurt them. And so you will have to decide for yourself, are the people in your life dysfunctional or are they really just lashing out and trying to, you know, destroy who you are mentally and emotionally? You will have to make the call on that. Number four, no instant gratification. The whole thing about sex addiction is that you get instant gratification, right? Porn, um, masturbation, um, sex, it, you get gratification right away. Whether or not you orgasm, that does not necessarily equal gratification. Sometimes you're looking to connect with someone. Sometimes you are just wanting the closeness of someone physically. Sometimes you are just wanting someone to keep you company. You get instant gratification when you allow yourself to be distracted, um, when you engage in the thing that you have conditioned yourself to run to. So it makes you feel good in that moment. But the thing about instant gratification is that it does not last. It's not like we're talking about peace and harmony and balance. Those are the, the types of things that can last. But instant gratification, it's like instant coffee. You know, it's going to get cold and it will become stale. It's not going to taste good in a few minutes. And that's what instant gratification is like. Number five, physical desire. Some people are triggered mentally and emotionally, but some people just have really high sex drives. And there's a fine line there. Some people legitimately have physically high sex drives, but some people are are conditioned to have their body become excited because it's what they need in order to be distracted. And you really need to understand the difference. Are you the kind of person who's constantly trying to stay in a state of arousal, even if it's not there, you're trying to make it happen just so you can be distracted? Or are you the kind of person who's going throughout your day and and you are just physically, not emotionally and mentally, but physically turned on? Some people will have um, high physical desire because they've been conditioned that way mentally. And so this is not something that you can address just by filling out a form. You really have to get to know yourself. You need to be in an environment where you can explore. You can ask yourself hard questions. You can test out certain theories. 
you know, if it is just physical, then how does your body re respond when A happens? If it is just physical, then how does your body respond when B happens? So you really want to get to the heart of it. If you have a really high sex drive, um, then doing something like, you know, just cutting off all sexual activity, whole turkey, is going to be the quickest way to send you into a spiral, a downward spiral. So I'm not one of those people who believes that one size fits all. You know, if you have a sexual addiction, then you need to go cold turkey and just cut everything off. That's not going to work. And I can tell you a good percentage of my clients come from Sex Addicts Anonymous because they've tried being, what is the word that they use? I can't remember so it's not sober sober is for alcoholics uh they've they've tried to totally abstain meaning no masturbation no sex with their wives no no anything no anything and they, they will say oh i've been sober is the wrong word but we'll use it yeah i've been sober for three months i've been sober for four months i i just don't find and again i'm not a licensed professional but i just don't find that effective especially since a number of my clients will come to me and say i've been going to the meetings and you know um, putting up a brave front and pretending to be sober pretending to be on this program because it makes my wife happy it makes my doctor happy you know and and i can put this show on or put on a good show and my life is a little bit better but on the inside i'm dying i'm paraphrasing of course but i get a number of clients who come to me because those very strict programs that say don't do anything just grit your teeth and bear it. It just doesn't work for normal sex addicts, but especially for those who have been um, conditioned for fetishes in BDSM. This is going to be a totally different animal. A person who is triggered with fetishes in BDSM cannot necessarily be treated or supported the same way that an individual is supported when they have a sex addiction without porn and fetishes involved totally different scenarios number six triggers a lot of times my clients don't even know what their triggers are they will just find themselves upset and turned on and wanting to run and agitated and just oh you know I just need to escape I need to get out of here and the first thing that I'm asking is what happened what was your trigger how were you feeling before that and I get them to this place where they can start to analyze their own emotions and their own behaviors you have to understand your triggers and what your how your compulsions are connected to your triggers and those knee-jerk reactions those knee-jerk reactions being those things that you want to do without thinking I've been triggered and now I'm going to do this I've been triggered I want to see a prostitute I've been triggered and dot 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 so you need to get to the heart of those that is not something that you're going to be able to explore by talking about your fetishes these are things that you can only get to the heart of by talking about your feelings your thoughts your emotions okay and some new clients don't get this and so they want a checklist from me 
give me a checklist. Tell me in five minutes how I can get better. That shit doesn't work, guys. You have a different story from Bob. You have a different story from, let's say you're 20 and he's 60. Let's say that, you know, you grew up with supportive parents and he grew up in a foster home. Uh, Let's say that you grew up in a religious home where sex was taboo, even though there were seven children in your family, but sex was taboo and you were not supposed to be a sexual creature, even though there's hypocrisy of mom and dad obviously having fucked. That's a lot to process, as opposed to this person who was molested. Like, everybody's story is different. So what triggers you is not going to trigger someone else. The way that you get to your truth is not going to be the way that someone else gets to their truth. Okay? And your truth is not going to be someone else's. Maybe one person is gay. Maybe another person is transsexual or transgender. Maybe another person is using feminization in order to get in touch with his feminine side because there is no female presence in his life. Every situation is different. There is no checklist. There isn't one. And if someone offers you one uh, and says, you know, you can diagnose yourself by going through this checklist, I would say run. I wouldn't pay that any attention personally. Number seven, emotional maturity. Because the majority of men in addictive cycles have never really matured emotionally, then when it comes time to having to deal with their stuff, it is absolutely overwhelming. It's just too much to deal with. And so you get them running and shutting down and disappearing and becoming angry and projecting onto me, onto their loved ones. Um, Just you know, trying to hurt themselves because it's too much. They would rather do almost anything than deal with the pain that they remember from when they were eight years old, 12 years old, six years old. They don't want to remember that. They don't want to relive it. And so they've been doing everything that they could their entire lives to avoid feeling that way again. And when they found out that playing with their dicks, you know, helped them to forget the pains that uh, surrounded them, that that were kind of pushed onto them in their early lives or later lives, they run to those things. They cling to them as though that is their salvation. You have to mature emotionally on this journey and you have to be patient with yourself. You need someone who's going to hold you accountable But you also need someone who's patient because the shit that comes up and that is unearthed, you, one, will probably not even recognize yourself, or two, you will probably think, where did that come from? I thought that I got rid of that a long time ago. It's because you have buried these things instead of worked through them. It is a lot, guys. It's a lot. Let's keep going. Number eight. This one is really important to me, not necessarily to new clients. They just don't see it because they're so focused on their dick and pleasure and pleasure and their dick. But what is important to me, 
I can't say it's more important than other things, but I really look at this. There's a lack with individuals who are sex addicts. There's a lack of integrity, a lack of honesty, and a lack of morality. Not all the time, but a lot of the times. You will not find that uh, an addict is consistent in terms of integrity, honesty, morality. They will either lie directly, lie indirectly, they will communicate in a way that is misleading, they will play emotional games, they will just do anything that they can to not have to deal with their own shit. And if that means throwing a tantrum because someone blinked the wrong way, or someone responded to them, but that person responded because they did something to them. So instead of realizing what you as the individual have done to someone else, you focus on their response to you. And and there's no ownership for what you have done. You are just the victim and everyone else is treating you so poorly and poor you. And that is something that you have to be careful of. You really, really do. You need to be a person of integrity. That means say what you mean and mean what you say. That means being honest, not only answering questions honestly that have been posed to you, but but communicating honest and being forthcoming. Um, I might ask a client something like, you know, why didn't you tell me that you, you went to see a hooker last month? You know, maybe it comes up today. And when I get the, the response, oh, you didn't ask me. This is one of the most absurd things that I've ever heard. And it, it, it is such a cop-out. And it is just buried in bullshit. And so where do you start with someone like that? Usually for me, that is a do-or-die moment. If this is how you see this space, then you need to go. Because I'm not going to be chasing around behind you, trying to pick up your broken pieces and your lies and your bullshitty mess and trying to piece something together for you that, that, that requires me to do the work. This is your fucking journey. This is your work. You got you here and you are the only one who's going to get you out of this place. So you have to be a person who is honest. That means not only answering the questions that are posed to you honestly, but being forthcoming. You are not honest if you are hiding and manipulating and ducking and diving and, you know, that's not honesty, guys. That's bullshit. Okay? And morality. I... I hear stories from some saying, oh, you know, I'm such a victim because this person did this to me. And I'm going, isn't that the same thing that you did to her? You know, she's using me for my money. Well, aren't you using her for her tits and ass? Are you interested in settling down with this woman? No, I'm not. Okay, so you're getting what you wanted. You wanted sexual play you wanted sex you wanted to be tied up you wanted to feel good you wanted to get off well she's allowing you to do that and she's making it really interesting for you as you go along the way 
Well, she's not interested in you. You're not interested in her. You're using her, and she's using you. So maybe she ups the ante. Maybe she says, I want more money. Maybe she gives you certain requirements. Maybe she starts to blackmail you. You know, morality is one of those things that says, I require people to treat me the way that I treat them. Morality is not, I get to treat you like shit. And then I sit back and I play the victim and go, oh, well, you know, my wife is cheating on me. Well, she cheated on me once, and I start asking questions. Well, how many times did you cheat on her? You know, morality. Morality. Decency. Number nine, guys. Learning to love yourself. Learning to love yourself is imperative. And I'm not talking about that political mindset that we have where, you know, I don't like people of this religious background, but I'm going to tolerate them. A lot of times when we think of loving ourselves, it's like, okay, I'm going to put up with myself. No, you can't put up with yourself on this journey. You need to absolutely be in love with yourself. You need to know that you are the shit. You need to know that you're amazing. We're not talking about having that ugly kind of ego that makes you better than someone else, but we are talking about that healthy sense of ego that says, I deserve this. You know, I'm here for a reason. I have purpose. My life has meaning. That is healthy. That is a healthy sense of ego. When you love yourself, appreciate yourself, see value in yourself, you are going to live that way. You are going to interact with people with that mindset. And when people see that that is the way that you uh, see yourself, then they treat you that way. But if you are a person who is just like, oh, you know, people don't matter emotions don't matter communication doesn't matter the only thing that matters is my dick then you're just going to be treated like a dick because you're not sharing your mind you're not sharing your heart or your soul your emotions you're not letting us see what is in that brain of yours what are your thoughts about this what are your thoughts about that there is no communication there's no connection you just want to get off you just want to use the other person. That is what happens when you get into an addictive cycle and you embrace that cycle. When you love yourself, you treat yourself with dignity and respect and kindness and you require others to do so. Can you really love yourself if you think that the only way that you're going to be in a relationship is if you whip out your credit card and buy something for this woman or give her your money and then she gives you the time of day I'm not talking to people who are reaching out because uh, of certain reasons I'm talking about people who are reaching out and they're looking for love and it's like blackmail and financial domination and you know the, the girlfriends you're you're paying to keep your girlfriend dressed a certain way I'm using girlfriend in air quotes she, you dress her a certain way and she keeps giggling and she keeps opening her camera or sending you pit, pictures of her tits or she lets you touch her you are paying for those interactions that's not self-love guys let's go to number 10 
Number 10 is believing that you deserve a better life and that you are capable of achieving that goal. Maybe I could have broken this up into two, but I was trying to keep the list short. (laughs) So it's believing that you deserve a better life and believing that you are capable of achieving it. No one else can do that for you. No one else can make you believe in yourself. The best that I can do as a counselor is I can believe in you and I can see something in you and that helps me to like fight for you you know that helps me to stay focused when you are trying to throw the towel in that helps me to to find what I need in you to redirect you so that you don't get stuck in that negative space so that you don't go out and throw everything away in one night that you've worked to build up for several months several several weeks or several days or even hours some people are going minute to minute some people have not even gotten to the point that they are celebrating weeks or months or years you have to believe that you deserve it and this is tied in directly with loving yourself when you love yourself you will start to treat yourself as though you know why am i living beneath my potential why am I allowing people to do, to do this to me? Why am I paying someone to do this to me? And when you start to wake up and you value yourself, your standards rise. You require more of yourself and the, the people that you interact with. So you need to believe that you deserve better and you need to understand that you are capable of achieving the goal of having a better life. How are you capable? This goes back to being in the present. We haven't talked about this a lot, but it requires you to be in the present. When you are focusing on the past, you are likely to fill yourself with all sorts of sadness and um, despair if you are focused on the future and whether or not you can get what you want, then you're going to be filled with anxiety. When you are focused on the present, then that is where you are really working. How do I feel? What do I want? What do I need? What am I afraid of? It does not mean that you do not address the past or the future, but it does mean that you don't live there. And I feel like I need to clarify there because some people become so frustrated with the process that instead of embracing the process, what they want to do is argue. Well, you said that you couldn't talk about the the past or the future. No, that's not what I said. I said you can't live there. It doesn't mean that you don't ever talk about the past because the past has to do with your present. And it doesn't mean that you don't talk about your future because that's where your goals lie. And sometimes you need to remind yourself of what the sacrifices are for, what you're fighting for, what the tears are for, what the agony is for, because this journey is absolutely one hell of a trip it is not easy it is not always pleasant you will not like yourself or the person sometimes you won't like yourself or the person who is helping to facilitate the journey sometimes that's me sometimes that's others and by the way for those of you who don't really understand what this space is about i am a counselor but i do encourage 
my clients who need more support to have it. So if they have a loving family unit, friends and family that support them, if um, they are seeing one or more psychiatrists, sometimes it's appropriate for the psychiatrist to know about me. So we do what works. There is no one size fits all. Last on my list is not being clear on your goal. This is probably one of the biggest mistakes that people will make. I get several calls a day where people are saying, I don't know what I want. I don't know why I'm here. I just called you on a whim. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't work out when the person is not ready to do their work. And so as soon as I start pointing them toward how real this is, the realization sinks in and they are out of there. It's not such a big deal on the surface, but depending on how the call has gone, if I find that the person is totally disrespectful, then I don't give them a chance to reach out to me again. I will block them. If I find that they are disrespectful and it's probably just not in the best interest of my space to ever have that person interact with me again, I will absolutely block them as quickly as I blink. I head right over to my account settings and they're out of there, which is sort of sad because I've had clients come back to me two years later, you know, six months or a year later. I've had that happen. And it's interesting to see their notes and see how they have evolved, you know, and what it is that they want now as opposed to what they wanted two years ago. If you are rude, if you are quite nasty, and if you are showing me that you don't really have anything positive to add to my space, you're not going to work, you're basically just acting like an alpha male brat, you know, I'm alpha and I get my way, I I won't deal with you. Submissive males work best for me, and uh, I will work with alpha males, but they do have to mind their manners. So not being clear on what your goal is, is a huge mistake. Um, Again, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't because the person doesn't know what they're in for. You know, they're calling me horny and they're saying, can you help me? You're not really looking for help. What you're wanting is to get off and you want to call it counseling. And while you call it counseling, you're wanting an erotic fantasy where I am, you know, the dominatrix slash therapist who's going to heal you. That shit is not happening. Don't call me with that. If you're not clear about the fact that you want help, then you're probably not ready for counseling. So there are a number of challenges that face sex addicts. Some of the things you are in control of, some of them you aren't. You cannot control how other people respond to you, but you can uh, control whether or not those people are in your life and to what extent they are in your life. You cannot control every trigger that comes up throughout the day, but what you can do is try to control your space so that you are triggered less. What you can do is plan in advance because you know that you're going to be exposed to something, some high stress situation or something provocative and you're you're going to be triggered and you need a backup plan. 
you need accountability, you need to check in with someone afterwards to make sure that you were a good boy, you need to think about, you need to process your thoughts and your feelings and emotions. The challenges that face recovering sex addicts are numerous. And I don't mean for this list to be overwhelming. What I mean to happen here is for sex addicts to become more aware. Um, because this idea of just going cold turkey and cutting everything off, judging yourself and saying this is bad and you're awful and you know you need to be medicated, you know, joining a group that's just like, just stop the activity totally. That shit does not work. Again, I have to let you know, I am not a licensed professional, but I can tell you that a good percentage of my clients are either in Sex Addicts Anonymous and or they have at least one other licensed counselor that they are seeing. Some of my clients are seeing two mental health professionals and me. Something is not coming together um, with these traditional settings with medication and judgment and, you know, labeling people as bad and good. That shit isn't working. And of course, they don't want to hear from me because I'm not licensed. They don't want to hear from people who are familiar with the lifestyle. And so you get these websites where they are saying things like, you know, let me tell you about BDSM. And so you're getting you're getting mental health professionals studying things like, what is a safe word? Holy crap, how is that going to help you in a session with someone who's addicted? Knowing what a safe word is? Are you kidding me? You know, understanding what a dominatrix is, uh, a dominant person is versus what a submissive is, and, and just sort of going through the intricacies of that, as if that is going to help. The only thing that this information is going to do is help you to understand the lifestyle, but it doesn't help you to understand how we tick. It doesn't help you to understand why this space is so important to us. Why some of us don't want to leave and some of us can't leave. Why some of us feel like this is home. Yeah, judging the sex addict is not going to get us anywhere. What we need to do is understand what faces the sex addict. We need to give them the support that they need, the accountability. There's absolutely no bullshit here, guys. None. So you face your facts, you hold that mirror up. If you don't want to hold it up, I'll hold it up for you. And one by one, we start going through those challenges, facing them, talking about the emotions that come up, the triggers that come up. We work through those things. And one by one, we start to conquer or work through them. We start to manage them so that they don't control you anymore. I hope that this podcast has been helpful for you guys. You can hear that I'm losing my voice. I've been talking so much lately, but I hope that you're getting something out of these messages. Happy holidays to you and yours, and I will talk to you guys again soon.